This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, 9.35 a.m. It is, uh, of course, the SNM show. Time for I'm Chu Chuang. Thank you. As well as with Julian Ng, we have with us Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, the independent economist, uh, on with us to discuss the ringgit and the ringgit Malays. Uh, Suresh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, uh, here, so 4.39 odd to the dollar. Uh, uh, many years since we've uh, visited these levels, clearly. Uh, the government has got its work cut out for them. Now, of course, you've got a view in terms of uh, the, uh, the the basically the budget 2016 and how uh, it's going to be time for the Prime Minister, who's also the Finance Minister, to relook at the assumptions there. Of course, the 2016 budget was cast at 48 bucks a barrel. Today, yeah. we're at 30 bucks a barrel. You know, in the first place, should the government and the Ministry of Finance have uh, been much more, in a way, cynical with their assumptions rather than having to keep casting downwards? I think the, the key thing here is actually, if you look back, actually, when they put out the budget in 2014 and then uh, sometime in uh, 2015, first quarter, they had the revision and then actually they had another revision again in the middle of the year. Then you notice actually the consensus uh, or the, the projections of oil prices were always actually on the high side. Uh, yeah, why why can't the government yeah. just cast at ten bucks a barrel and then exactly? What yeah. what about what about the repercussions for them to do that? I think that the concern here is actually the fact that if you project actually an assumption for oil prices close to ten US dollars, the concern here is actually the revenue that you actually generate from oil itself uh, significantly affects the budget. Uh, but that's inevitable. Then then the, yeah. then they've just got to tighten their belts and not spend as much of our money than they already are, right? Yeah, spending should be cut. Right, yeah. but uh, obviously that's that's not tenable from from a political perspective. So right, because you see, ninety percent of the of the opex is basically on salaries and emoluments, yeah. as you s- uh, abundantly said in the past. Yeah, but they have that other thing going on, the GST going on that it's supposed to pick up the slack of lost oil revenues. Uh, especially when you hear people like Standard Chartered saying that oil price could go down to ten dollars per barrel, and that's a very scary situation. Yeah. Uh, you know. It, you 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 can only obtain GST if there's growth. Uh, if there's no growth, Absolutely. then your GST uh, revenue if becomes significantly If people stop spending, low. then GST is ineffectual, isn't it? Exactly. See? So if they don't spend, uh, then your GST contributions to the coffers becomes a lot more smaller. And if and the reason why people don't spend is because they're uncertain. They don't have enough money. Do you think the government politicians... The, gov- <laughs> the government <laughs> politicians, <laughs> is that an oxymoron? Do you think the politicians... <laughs> Do you think the politicians have been watching too much of Lego the movie? They think <laughs> they 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 keep on saying all the public statements are saying everything's awesome. Everything's awesome. Narcos. It's not all they've been watching Narcos plus Lego at the same time. <laughs> right. Why? Why do they do that? I, uh, I, I think actually the fact is actually uh, you notice that you know uh, the reality on the ground or you don't have the pulse on the economy that could actually camouflage that view itself. Uh, you need to feel on the ground. Uh, when I mean on the ground, uh, take a trip actually, is it, trying to actually go to the normal uh, retail shops, uh, speak to the people there on the ground, uh, go to the petrol kiosks, meet some people. I mean, you have Are to you feel Are you saying the it. finance yeah. minister doesn't have a spot to make <laughs> Well, it, you yeah. know what they're doing, right? They're going around buying up uh, travel agencies and travel companies and theme parks or and things telling, like that. Or they're telling Malaysians to get two jobs or three jobs or... 
so so anyway talk, talking about talking about the economy um the government's hand has been forced recently and prime minister najib has come out to say that they they need to tweak the but uh, the budget and in conjunction with that moody's actually downgraded the outlook from uh positive to stable do you think yeah. it's stable in your uh, opinion if you look at much of the reasons that given by moody's itself uh Household debt, uh, public debt, uh, as a percentage of GDP, uh, that was one of the main concerns, as well as actually concerns about actually the external headwind, especially oil. Those were the factors. But I think uh, the outlook being moved down to stable now, uh, there's a higher risk uh, going forward in the next three to four months if revenue that is actually obtained from oil becomes a lot more smaller and GST contributions to the revenue to the coffers to the government becomes stable, smaller. Stable sounds so comforting. I mean, it's not positive, but it's yeah. stable, right? It's stable, but you know, it's slightly above negative. <laughs> and it's between positive and negative. You can look at it negative. that way. So yeah. should, we've established that the government should have been a, bit, a little bit more conservative in their assumptions for the price of oil. And they've consistently overcast and been, been too overconfident. Now, you, f- you reckon that there's going to be a technical recession in the first half? Yes, yes. I, I believe in the first half we'll see a technical recession. We'll see a flat growth, so slightly negative growth on a Q&Q basis itself. Uh, the main reason why I'm saying that is actually because I believe that oil prices continues to come down. I believe that actually G- GST's contribution to the coffers of the government will become smaller. And I also believe actually private consumption would actually contract uh, very strongly in the first half of this year itself. Well, that's that's very drastic, actually, yeah. because when you talk about technical recession, it's two consecutive quarters yeah. of negative growth, right? Yeah. And we're moving from uh, the four or five percent to negative. Yeah. That's a very sharp movement. Yeah. Do you think the government is being a little bit almost negligent in saying that everything's awesome? I think uh, I think they have detached themselves from the reality on the ground. Frankly, uh, I mean, I'm mean looking at it for much of last year and then even beginning of this year itself. Uh, I think the external headwinds has been there, but we can't just leave it to the external headwinds. They've been blaming the externalities. Yeah. They've been blam- blaming the external he- yeah. externalities for the longest time. Yeah. So, will, so will there be an oil dividend though? Because all all prices, uh, the fall of it, the crash of it, that definitely hurts some people. But uh, then it should benefit other people, right? If you know, it should benefit people who are consuming oil. Uh, and and also things that that oil is uh, made as a raw material uh, to make um, those things will become should become cheaper as well. Exactly, but the fact is, the last fifteen years, Malaysia's uh, services sector, especially in oil and gas, uh, has been so much concentrated in refining. Uh, even actually as you're finding where oil is. So it's been so centric towards that business itself. It has not been actually a business that is actually inclined towards actually in usage of oil. So mm-hmm. it's been actually at the at the front of actually trying to actually reduce the cost, even actually looking out for oil. Just, just on that note, yeah. uh, Shell is the most actively traded stock this morning. Shell refining, uh, 10 million ringgit being traded. At, went to a high of 623, which is like a f- you know, significant f- 5 to 6% up, uh, falling back down to about 608 right now. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Moody's has, up, has downgraded Malaysia's outlook from positive to stable. Uh, Fitch is still uh, positive, up from stable last year. Now, of course, every other month or every quarter, there's a monthly review. There's, quarter, there's, a, there's a review of the Malaysian economy. Now, uh, Fitch, I think, is up next on the block. What do you think will happen when, when they relook at the numbers and their assumptions? I think, I think based on the three rating agencies, Moody's, S&P and Fitch, I, I find that actually Fitch is the only one that actually seems to be actually closer to the ground and has a feel for the market itself in Malaysia. Uh, but they're the least influential. Yes, exactly. But uh, that is the one that is mostly eyed in Malaysia. That's why they're the least influential, right? Yeah, because they're the most honest, right?
<laughs> okay, now um, before we split up for our uh, interval, I'm going to leave listeners with uh, Suresh's uh, forecast for the ringgit for this year. Now, of course, Suresh, you reckon Q1, the ringgit will fall to five to yeah. the US dollar? Yes. Yeah, Second quarter at between 480 to 520, and then the third and final quarter close towards 450. You've got two solutions for us. Um, first one, uh, you reckon that there's quite a high chance of interest rates being dropped to massage the economy. Yeah. I think the key thing here is actually you need to have a counter-cyclical policy itself. Uh, at least on the monetary policy, you could actually introduce a cut in policy rates. I think that will do good in uh, reducing the uh, lack of ringgit liquidity in the system. Uh, the secondly is also actually provides the right signal to the market that you're actually seen to be doing something which is positive to stimulate the economy. You have told me there's a 65% chance of this happening. That's obviously good news for people yeah. with a high uh, leverage on their own personal balance sheets so yeah. at the corporate level. But um, we are at a time when the central bank governor, her term ends in April and there's an announcement on the new governor to be announced this month. Yeah. Who do you reckon is going to be? I mean, uh, looking at the potential candidates, uh, Tansri Irwan, uh, Dr. Sukhdev, and uh, Dr. Awang Adi Hussein, uh, these three people have actually got a clear edge against the rest of them. Well, insiders reckon Sukhdev is the man, but he could be the wrong colour. Put no comments on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's you know central bank has always been quite independent, quite uh, and they've proven it in the last year clearly yeah. with one MDB. Um, do you think they're gonna you know do you think they'll buck the trend, have the willpower to buck the trend, and maybe go that direction? I think the key thing here is actually that Dr. Zetti has actually left a legacy, uh, a legacy in the sense that actually she's been a central banker for a long time. Uh, she's got a strong PhD in economics. That's a very strong criteria that's needed there. Secondly, it also actually she's quite savvy with the market itself. So someone that actually comes in has to have, at not fully, but at least a large chunk of that qualities that Dr. Zetti had. Well, I wouldn't say big pair of shoes to fill, right? Yeah. yeah. But Owen Sariga, Awang Adek, as well as uh, Sukhdev, they've all got uh, doctorates. So why is the doctorate so important? Because, you see, the mechanism of central banking is a function of actually knowing the economics of running a country, at least on the monetary policy. And once that is actually done, you have to put it in very simple words to the market itself. And so you need the strong knowledge in economics. I no. think uh, Zeti also uh, presided over time when uh, the BLR was changed to the base rate. And I think this is quite interesting because recently we saw that a few foreign banks in Malaysia, OCBC, HSBC, UOB, has, have raised their base rate. Is, does this jive with what you're thinking? Because you're talking about technical recessions and yet the banks are raising base rates. You know, if, if you look back actually over the last few months, uh, what you notice is actually a large chunk of uh, ringgit that comes into from foreign exchange is from exporter receivables. Uh, they don't convert their dollars into ringgit, so they put it in foreign currency deposits. So there's no ringgit coming into that side of it. Secondly, individuals in Malaysia, as well as business enterprise, because they're concerned about the ringgit weakening, they've converted some of their ringgit deposits into foreign currencies. The third part of it is actually, you notice actually banks are facing a bit of a liquidity squeeze because wholesale deposits that are parked in these banks are being taken out by large corporates to actually fulfill their obligations.
obligations on loans and FX exposure overseas. So this will actually make the role of the central bank really harder because they're trying to manage uh, avoidance of recession. And yeah. now you're acting in an environment of rising interest rates. What can be done here? That's why the, the key thing here you need to take into account is providing ringgit liquidity into the system. That's very important. One, The way you can do that is actually by reducing your reserve requirements, reduce your policy rates, put back the, the excess liquidity that's parked in the central bank back into the system itself. That's the most crucial part. Once you do that, you provide the right signal, you push down the uh, base rates actually a lot more lower, and you actually induce the banks to actually increase their lending itself. Out of the three candidates you named earlier, Erwin Sariga, uh, Sukhdev Singh, um, and of course... Uh, um, Dr. Awang Adik. Yeah, Dr. Awang Adik. You did not mention Mohammed Ibrahim, Dr. Mohammed Ibrahim, who's been seen by some sources inside as the top candidate. Now, I- against your, you know, your 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 feeling that you know uh, low interest rates be pretty good for the economy, yeah. um, you know, do you, re- do you reckon MI would be the man to do this? You know, I, I was an ex central banker as well. Yeah. Uh, I spent almost three years there. I was in the international division. Uh, what I noticed is actually you need a very strong economics background. And uh, given that, actually, uh, you need to know actually how the markets work as well. So cutting policy interest rates at this point in time tells you actually you need someone to know how the market behaves as well actually what are your policy options that you have in the central bank itself. Which means uh, Tansri Arun Saraga is quite an interesting candidate. Yes, exactly. See? But uh, He comes from the fiscal side of it. Yeah. Now, um, just on the on the forex side, we, you know, we're not putting many dollars away in in yeah. the kitty because, uh, you know, obviously we're not selling as much as we'd like. Um, yeah. Foreign reserves are around about 95, 96 billion US dollars. Haven't moved one jot since the last few months. We've depleted it, protecting the ringgit. Um, you know, we're barely in def- uh, we're barely in surplus right now. What what are your th- feelings about the, ch- the chances of the current account deficit uh, of of a current account deficit, the first ever in our history? Yeah. Um, we we used to have a current account deficit uh, a long time ago actually there and then after the currency was packed actually there we moved into a current account surplus and trade balance yeah surplus. at least for the, l- yeah. the first time in about 15 odd yeah. years right? yeah so I th- I think the key thing here that we are moving towards actually a risk of a current account deficit is actually because the uh, portfolio flows are not coming in that's one thing uh, secondly it's also actually our trade sector would not be doing very well at all for this year. So, which means actually it's a drag on the overall current account balance itself. Okay, so the second solution postulated by you, Suresh, um, we've got about something like 5% of the Singaporean population is Malaysian, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, I hate to say it, but it's true. <laughs> something like 300,000 uh, Malaysians working in Singapore. Yeah. Now, they've socked away quite a large yeah. amount of uh, savings. Yeah. Do you reckon this might be interesting from a liquidity standpoint for us? Uh, this is a proposal I've been pushing out actually that Malaysian banks operating in Singapore could offer higher interest rates for Malaysians working in Singapore and they could withdraw the money back in Malaysia after a certain period three to six months uh, which actually means that actually that Malaysian banks even Malaysians actually they would actually get back that that ring the sing dollar liquidity back into Malaysia and converting it into higher ringgit. So, which means a lot of foreign cash is coming back into the system. It's a it's an it's a approach that is being used in many countries, even India actually, eh, for non-resident Indians. We could use it for non-resident Malaysians as well. But the the key thing here is actually bringing back the cash into the system, 
And that's where actually, I think that that should be a solution for Malaysia. Isn't something like that driven by confidence? Um, would Malaysians want to do that when they can uh, just very easily use their ATM to withdraw money out of their Singapore bank? Yeah, but the thing is that actually, uh, if you look at the amount of, you know, most Malaysians who work in Singapore, yes, they work in Singapore, but they spend in Malaysia. So if you are given actually something of an interest rate which is roughly close to around 45 to 5% in ringgit terms and you can only withdraw it in Malaysian banks in Malaysia after a certain period, it I think most people would take up that option. But the thing is, Suresh, a lot of the local banks are already offering those no, well, those interest rates, albeit in, in certain funny uh, structures, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And investment product. No, um, you know, is that is that enough for a half to five percent to you know to, to yes, incentivize exactly. that? Yes, exactly. And also, uh, where is the ringgit going to go? Right, that's yeah. that would be in the mind of these guys. Yeah, instead of raising rates to compete with the US, you're dropping rates, and you'll see an acceleration of outflows. The thing here is actually, like in the case of Singapore, uh, what do you, you offer high interest rates on the Malaysian deposits for Malaysians working in Singapore, you can withdraw it in Malaysia. Now, the fact is actually the other way, actually, when I said actually cut the policy rates, uh, when you cut policy rates, actually, yes, the ringgit tends to weaken, but the damage on the ringgit has been done already. How much more weaker the ringgit can become? Do, five, don't, do five, you have six, a six, seven, seven, eight? I mean, the, the, you, the projections that I have is only 520. That's the max you can go. I don't see it going beyond that. that that's still all. quite spooky, right? Yes. I mean, if I'm holding bank account in Singapore and holding Sing dollars, uh, it would take a lot to convince me to actually come back and hold ringgit. But I think the human nature for a lot of people is actually see, looking actually where your currency goes the furthest. If I'm actually earning one Singapore dollar and it actually I could get close to around four ringgit in Malaysia. I think I'll be still tempted. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you've been you've been proposing this idea since time immemorial. It's not been very popular. Clearly, yes. you know, part of the reason could be because uh, you know interest margins uh, will be affected, right? Yes. Uh, at bank level, yeah. Yeah. government owns at least three or four banks in this country. Yes. So that's I guess that's part of the reason why it's not so mm. popular. Uh, because I think that's because it hits the profit margins. But as I said earlier, you you're already losing money. right? Yes, you're already losing money. But you can have this proposal for a certain period of time only. So you have a window there. Uh, you could actually put it for three to six months FD rates, and this is what you offer. See? So it's like a one-off thing. Did you read about how the high ball jumped to sixty-seven percent yesterday? Sixty-seven. I'm not talking about six what point is the seven. High Hong Kong Interbank borrowing rates, yeah. right, for yuan uh, jumped to 67% yesterday. Yeah. And uh, people say that this is an effect of some kind of capital controls that are coming out of China. Yeah. Um, why is this happening? And do you think Malaysia would return to a kind of capital control uh, environment? No, in the case of a high more actually, what we notice actually, uh, there's a lot of actually cash that was actually getting out of Hong Kong itself. Uh, so interest rates had to go up on that. But in the case of Malaysia, I, I don't see capital controls back into that at all uh, because it'd be quite detrimental for Malaysia itself. We have opened it up for significantly for a long period of time and now if you actually close it back, uh, you'll send out the wrong signal to the market. I don't think that's going to be the approach that it can do. I, you need to work with the, with the existing parameters of the market itself and try to innovate from there and provide solutions to the headwinds that you have. That's the key thing here. But, you know, don't just clamp it down and just close it off like, because that will be a wrong signal and it could actually push us back almost another five to six years. Well, if, if you treat the, if you hold the position of markets being king, right, then you would have to deal with what the market off hands you like a very volatile and weak ringgit. Uh, yeah. and, and that's desirable, you think? I, I think you don't go against the market but you work with the market and you provide solutions to it. Eh? Uh, it. It's quite difficult to do that. It needs someone who really is quite savvy to do it itself. 
But the key thing here is actually, you can't leave it everything to the market. When there's trouble in the market and you know things are not going your way, you need to intervene to actually solve and provide the solutions. Okay, there. so yeah. what is, yeah. we've got one minute left, Suresh. So yeah. what is Dr. Suresh Ramanathan doing to mitigate turbulent 2016? What are you doing on your, at a personal level? I think uh, on a personal level, actually, uh, I like the Hong Kong dollar. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's one country. But how do you do? You yeah. buy cash or do you buy an account or uh, cash as well yeah, as an account? Yeah. Uh, so you, you, you put a whole bunch of notes under the floor bonds or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I put it out actually in a Hong Kong deposit uh, dollar itself, and and the, the key thing here is not about the interest that you earn from it. Uh, it was actually, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's a stable currency. It's yeah. back to the US dollar. Okay, well, uh, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. Now, of course, uh, Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, our regular commentator on the SNM show, in this case today, talking about the currency part of the uh, markets. Thank you for joining us as usual. Uh, Julian Ng and myself, Ku Chung, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.